Okay, so uh, we're uh, going to start our series this week of a Bible overview. We're going to do this in two weeks, which feels like a, a big feat to cover the Bible in two weeks. We could probably spend the rest of our lifetimes um, doing an overview of the Bible. But really, these next two weeks are about us getting an overview with relation to draw near and what the Bible brings for us. And by the way, in the future, what I'd love us to actually do a bit more depth on what the Bible is and actually going through it systematically. You never know, that may even be one of our vision focuses one year to really go deeper into the Bible. But over these next couple of weeks, we're going to particularly focus on what it is to draw near. Now, last week, as I said already, brought our vision focus, which is draw near, and our vision verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this vision focus is all about how we individually and corporately as a church together can draw near to God, how we can take that step towards him, how we can grow in our faith day by day. And as I mentioned last week, it's all in the context of the fact that God has already drawn near to us, and we'll see this in the uh, aspects I look at in a moment, but this whole thing that God has drawn near to us, firstly, in the person of Jesus Christ, that he Jesus has died on the cross for us and therefore has opened up the way so that we can draw near to him. And then he gives us this promise that actually as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And we've got this amazing dynamic of us growing in faith together. But also, which is really important, it's not just about us and about us growing and us maturing, but it's also about the impact that this has on the world around us. You know, God hasn't just created us to receive his blessing, but he's also created us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. And I don't know about you, but I find in my own life when I'm really alive in God and there's a real sense of God working in my life, that has an impact on the people around me. It's not like I go out of my way to make that happen, but actually just very naturally as I'm full of life with God, actually he has an impact on me and that has an impact on others, And I really pray that actually as we look at these next steps, those next step cards and think about how we can move forward in God, that actually there's this dynamic between each other and then that overflows beyond our community here at St. James to Stichel, to Coventry and beyond as well, that we can have far-reaching impacts through what God wants to do in us and through us over this year. And uh, last week, just as a recap for those of us who weren't here or those of us who've forgotten, um, we've got some fresh opportunities that we're offering over this year. Firstly, we're going to be running the prayer course, the de- details of which are in the newsletter. And this is a great opportunity for us to uh, run a course in the life of St. James over in the church centre on Wednesday evenings leading up to Easter, where we can really get to grips with what prayer is, but also we can have a go at it in small group contexts. Uh, also, we've got uh, praise and prayer evenings, which will be running at our evening services. It's going to be the first one, I think it's on the 3rd of March. Again, we'll get details of that in the newsletter. Um, Thirdly, we're going to be running um, Thy Kingdom Come, which is particularly focused on, as it says, praying that his kingdom will come on earth as it is uh, in heaven, and specifically praying for those who don't know Jesus, that actually our drawing near is about receiving from him so we can really pray to see God's kingdom come in the lives of those around us. Um, We've already mentioned this morning um, Celebration Sunday for the kids' work. Great to hear and see some pictures up on the screen of what the children are up to. And then finally, we've already talked about as well, is the next step card, this concept that actually we want to take a next step uh, towards God. So let's let's now move to um, the Bible overview. And uh, I was just trying to think of a bit of an illustration just to help get our heads around what I'm hoping that we can get out of this 
Bible overview, or at least get some measure of out of this Bible overview. I don't know if you experienced this, but when you were growing up, you know, from a, from a toddler uh, to a, a child, older child, teenager, in your 20s and so on, that the world geographically gets smaller. It's not to say the world gets smaller, because actually you realise more and more of the complexities of life, but the world itself seems to get smaller. At least that was my experience. That <clears throat> first of all, you know, my house, the house I, I, I was born into, you know, felt quite big as a as a toddler. Uh, then you start going to play group, and you and you start visiting different people's houses. Then you go to school, and uh, you kind of pick up on all these different places, but you don't necessarily know how they're all connected. You know, for for all you know, you may be driving half an hour. You don't really have that perception of time. Um, and then you get a map, and you look at a map of the town you've grown up in, and suddenly you see where everything is in that town. And then perhaps you see a, a map of the region that you live in, and then maybe the country, and then the world. And then suddenly everything starts fitting into place, and you realise, oh, that's where London is, or that's where Scotland is, or, uh, or, or maybe you realise, oh, actually, Outer Mongolia isn't in South America. It's in Asia, between China and... And, uh, and Russia, and you kind of you build up this picture of the world, of how it looks. And I see that a bit like the Bible. You know, so often it's easy to, to delve into different bits and pieces, but you don't necessarily see how it all fits together. And uh, specifically, I hope that through this series we're about to start, we're not going to go into lots of detail about how the Bible's formed, but get some kind of indication of how draw near is a theme throughout the whole of Scripture, that it's not just one thing. In, in James, but it's a theme throughout Scripture. But can I just say, actually, and this may be a, a next step for some of us this morning, the best way to get an overview of the Bible is to read the whole Bible all the way through. Now, that can feel a bit daunting, I know, and for some of us, uh, we may have tried it and uh, got bogged down in Leviticus. Um, we've all been there, all done that. But can I just encourage us just to give it a go? You know, give it a go, reading through the whole Bible. I remember when I first read through the whole Bible. Uh, that I suddenly realised where everything fitted. You know, these stories that you heard and you suddenly realise, oh, actually, that's just a, that story is just a little bit later than that story. And then you see how it all fits together. And so just really encourage us to, to maybe think about that. That may be a next step for some of us. Um, so this morning, we're going to focus particularly on uh, N.T. Wright's kind of understanding of the Bible. N.T. Wright is a Bible scholar and his... Um, sort of approach to the Bible as a five-act play. Now, uh, plays are, are, are split, aren't they, into different acts, and this helps to structure the play. Uh, it also, when necessary, gives a break when people need it. I'm afraid you're not going to get a break in my sermon, but you do, get a, you do get a break between act three and four, so you've got the whole of next week to have a rest before boss starts again. Not that you'll need that much, but uh, at least I hope you won't. Um, so the five acts of this play are... Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church. Okay, let's go, let go through those again. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and the church. Okay, and uh, we could be here for a long time unpacking those, but we're gonna, I'm going to do the first three this morning, and then Boz is going to do the second two um, next week. And within these acts, as N.T. Wright calls them, um, there are significant covenants, that's agreements, that God makes with his people. Um, often covenants, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, were made between people of, of two different statuses, some of the higher status and some of the lower status, not always, but often. And there were often consequences if that covenant was broken. 
and you'll realize why I'm saying that in a moment. Um, that will become clear. And today we're going to focus on these first three acts of creation, fall, and Israel. And I hope that as we look at this, we recognize some key themes. So the first one is that God is always seeking to draw near. God is always seeking to draw near. You know, throughout the whole of history, biblical history, church history, the history of humanity, God is always saying, you know, I want to draw near to you. I want to know you better. And he doesn't force himself on us, but he gives us this invitation. He's always inviting us to draw near to him. Secondly, that God invites us to draw near to him. God is always seeking to draw near to us, but he invites us on the basis of that to draw near to him. And that thirdly, and I think this is really important, that God throughout biblical history, church history, is inviting broken people to draw near to him. People who are feeling vulnerable, people who are feeling weak, people who feel they can't make it happen. I've been in that place where I just feel like, you know, I can't do this. But actually God comes in and he breaks through into our lives. And I imagine many of us here have had that experience. And I just want to affirm that because I think in our world it's so easy to say that we've got to make it happen. We've got to be independent. We've got to be able to take responsibility. We've got to be able to do it ourselves. But of course, as followers of Christ, we say it's in his hands. He's the one that does it. It doesn't mean to say that we don't have to take responsibility. It doesn't mean that we don't need to step out ourselves, but it means that we're empowered by the presence of God uh, to do that. In uh, Mark 2:17, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said to them, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick." You know, just imagine if you booked an appointment to see your GP and uh, you, you went through that whole process probably to work, wait a few weeks before you got your appointment. You met with your doctor and your doctor says to you, so what's wrong with you? You say, nothing. I'm fully healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. I wonder what the doctor would say. Or maybe he'd say, hurrah, I've got 10 minutes free now. Or 10 minutes to catch up with my other appointments. Um, but, but the point is, you know, if, if, if we're healthy, we don't need a doctor. And Jesus says here, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. You know, God calls us. And the fact is, all of us are sinners, aren't we? All fall short of God's glory. So let's start with the first one, shall we? Let's start with creation. And the first thing that I think it's worth saying is that God is the creator. You know, however you interpret that, however you interpret um, Genesis, uh, Genesis 1, I think the significant thing is that God made the heavens and the earth. However he made it, he made them. He is the creator God. And as God looks at his creation, he sees something that is good. He sees something that is really positive. He creates man and woman in his own image. He creates us in diversity, but yet in this wonderful way that reflects something of his glory. In a world where there's so much confusion around uh, gender, God has created us in his image. He loves us and he affirms us in his love. In Genesis, we read about the wonderful affirmation over his creation. In chapter 1 and verse 31, he says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. You know, just look at each other and say, God says you are very good. Can we just say that to each other? (laughs) 
folks, it's great to see you all. It's great to see you all smiling. <laughs> you know, not that you don't smile, but, but there's this sense, isn't there, of affirmation over us that God, God looks at his creation and he say, sees it's very good. Now, of course, there is a fallenness in creation that we'll come to in a moment, but God has created the world and he has made it very good. And there's something about creation that speaks of who he is. And we see this, just, you can just go outside and look. I mean, this, this picture here, we, we're not sure exactly where it's from. I need to talk to John T, who put it together. But I think it might be from the Lake District. And, you know, those of you who've walked in the Lake District, you walk there and you think, wow, this is amazing. It speaks something of God's love and of his glory. Um, Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. God draws near to his creation. He creates something that is very good and he longs for a relationship from each one of us. And I don't know if you knew, but in Genesis, God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve. Before I go into this covenant in a moment, it's just worth pointing out that uh, within his creation, it mentions two particular trees in the Garden of Eden, one of, which, one of which we'll be very familiar with, which we'll come to in a moment. The second one, maybe not so. And the first tree is the tree of life, the tree of life. And in the uh, Bible, trees are often a symbol of life. It's quite obvious, really. If you look at a tree, there's life sustained by it. It's full of life itself. It's got roots um, and, and this sense of growth and development. And in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 8, we get this feel for the imagery of life that trees bring. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that send out, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And so I love this imagery because the imagery here is of the Garden of Eden, which is the center of God's creation. At the center of God's creation is this tree, and it's a tree of life. And this sense in which right at the center of all that God has created is that he has created us for life. He's created you for life. He's created me for life. We are called to enjoy this life. And of course, this isn't a new thing for us. We'll uh, remember the verse in John 10.10, I've come, Jesus says, to give you life and life in all its fullness. And so as we look at creation, we recognize that God has come to give us life. He has drawn near to us and given us this amazing gift. And so then the second tree, which we may be more familiar with, is the tree in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the meaning of this tree, the title, is a bit harder to understand. You know, sometimes we read this and we kind of take it for granted. But when you actually think, well, what does that mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If I eat from it, well, I'm just going to get a knowledge of good and evil. What's so bad about that? And so when we unpack it and get under the surface of what's going on here, um, we understand a bit more uh, about what, um, uh, what, what, what is being said in, uh, in Genesis. And uh, firstly, I just want to read from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden 
to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, one of the things that the Bible does affirm is the acquirement of wisdom, okay? Um, But the sense here is that what God was saying to Adam and Eve, I do not want you to pursue wisdom that is autonomous from God. In other words, I don't want you to seek wisdom wisdom and understanding that basically separates yourself from me. And this was what the... uh, this tree was about. It was about actually saying, do you know what? I'm going to choose another way. I'm going to choose not God's way, not the creator's way, but I'm going to choose my way. It's all about what I want. And so I'm going to take from this, this tree, I'm going to take the fruit, and I'm going to live in my way. God doesn't want us to live autonomous lives. He wants us to live under his rule. The commentator Gordon Wenhams writes this, contrary To expectation, man is allowed to eat of the tree of life, but not of the tree of wisdom. For that leads to human autonomy and an independence of the creator, incompatible with the trustful relationship between man and his maker, which the story presupposes. And so we build up this picture that God, in creation, we build up this wonderful picture of God creating something which is good, something which is beautiful, something which is to be celebrated, something which is to be lived. And within this creation, he's also created a framework. He's created boundaries. And that boundary, in its simplicity, is about saying, God, I'm going to live under your rule. I'm going to live under your ways. Not to squash us, not to be a killjoy, but so that we can live life, which is what we're Uh, invited to do. So there's the first bit. Um, The second act we move on to now is the fall. And this act is not so popular. We don't like to talk about the fall. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about judgment. They're just things, you know, within our wider society that, you know, you don't really talk about sin. It's not a trendy word these days. And uh, in the church, you know, we don't talk about it as much as perhaps in days gone by, and perhaps uh, it's a rebound. You know, sometimes there was um, uh, sort of uh, uh, hell and damnation was talked about so much, it was more like you were responding to the gospel because you feared rather than because of responding to God's love. But there's something I think we can lose in not understanding the reality of sin. And in any play, you need every act to understand the full story. It's exactly the same in the story of the Bible that we need to fully understand what the act of the fall is to understand our context and how actually we can draw near to God and know God working in our lives. And I think um, particularly in our society today with political correctness and uh, the needs of the uh, individual, we've got individualism, that this can be even further uh, inflated. And don't get me wrong, I think freedom and rights of the individual is really important, that we must affirm those um, we see in years gone by and, and uh, even today in, in modern times the, the slavery, freedom that is taken away from people and that is absolutely wrong and absolutely awful. But this morning there's something I want to talk about, about us living under the rule of God. 
And actually, interestingly, um, humanism has its origins in the Christian faith. I don't know if you knew that, ironically. Um, Christian humanism um, began in the Renaissance and the Reformation, and it all came out of this principle that we want to affirm the individual, we want to bring freedom to the individual, and we want to bring dignity to the individual, which we'd all agree with. That's absolutely true. God sees us all as equal. He loves each one of us. He affirms us as individuals. But the problem is when you take Jesus out of humanism, when you take the Christian bit out of humanism, that it all becomes about the individual. And then we lose this sense of us living under the rule of God. Because actually, in reality, if we lose God, we lose the freedom. Because we become slaves to the desires of others, of our own desires, of what we think is right, when actually it's God who's made us. God has made the manual. He knows how we work. He wants us to live under him. And so the fall is the point at which sin enters the world. It's the point when sin comes into the world. And I don't know if you knew this, but, but all of us don't, don't sin. Uh, all of us aren't sinners because we sin. We, we, are, we are born into sin. We are born as sinners, and therefore we sin, okay? So actually, all of us have fallen short of God's grace. I'm not trying to depress us, by the way, but we will get through this act. It's important that we get to the bottom of this and understand it. And uh, Adam and Eve decided to break the covenant. They decided to eat from the tree. Did you know, by the way, it wasn't an apple on the tree, well, it might have been an apple, but it doesn't say it was an apple. It says it's fruit. Um, they took the fruit from the tree, and they decided to go their own course. They decided to pursue their own way. And uh, it's very clear, isn't it, that um, God uh, says that all of us have sinned. None of us are perfect. In Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 1, Paul outlines all the things in which we fall short of. And there's kind of an argument from Romans 1 through to 8 of of the sin and then the salvation that God brings through Jesus. But in Romans 1, Paul talks about adultery. He starts starts with idolatry. Then he talks about uh, sexual sin. And then in Romans uh, 1, 29 following, he says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it, of uh, all the different ways that we fall short of God's glory. And we all fall short. You know, I fall short. I'm so aware of my own sin, my own brokenness, that I mess up. I mess up with my kids. I mess up with my wife. I mess up with my friends and, you know, have done for many, many years and I'm sure will continue. Um, And all of us, there is a brokenness inside of us. We all fall short of God's glory. None of us are, are immune. And the consequence of all this, which is the significant thing which I'm building up to, is that this means that it comes in the way of our relationship with God. That actually in our drawing near to God, if there's sin in the way, this gets in the way of us drawing near to him. 
And God's desire is for us to draw near to him. There's a desire in us, an innate desire, I believe, to draw near to God. And yet sin so easily gets in the way. And that's why we as Christians believe it's so important to say sorry for the things that we do wrong. That's why I had that moment after our worship just to say sorry to God for the things we do wrong. But it's great to do that every day, to be bringing those things before God. But the fantastic thing is that even in this act, even in this point where it looks so bleak for humanity, where there's sin and this sin which blocks us and this sin which gets in the way of us drawing near to God, even here we have a seed of hope. In Genesis 3 verse 16 we read, and I will put enmity, he's talking to the devil here, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And many commentators believe that this is a, uh, a picture of what was to come. This idea that uh, he will crush your head, saying about man or humankind will crush your head, crush the head of the enemy, is a foretelling of the coming of Jesus. That Jesus, the perfect man, came and destroyed the power of sin and death. And so even in the bleakness of the fall, we see the beginnings of God breaking through. And even while we were still enemies of Christ, enemies of God, God wanted to break through and bring his freedom and his life. And in Romans 5.8, we have this wonderful verse that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Even before we knew him, even before we had even chosen to follow him, he had died for each one of us uh, here this morning. And so the summary point for me, for the fall really, in, in, as we think about drawing near, is to recognize that we are fallen, that there is a fallenness and a brokenness within us. And we need to be real about this. We don't, need to, we don't want to cover it over we don't want to cover it over with political correctness or individuality or, well, you're just different or, or whatever it might be. We want to own this and be real with this because actually as we're real for, with this, then we truly receive all that God has in store for us in the following acts and particularly the final two. And so thirdly and finally, so first we've looked at creation, secondly we've looked at fall now we turn to Israel. Now Israel's got a long history. I'm not going to unpack the whole history of Israel. But I just want to look at three characters very briefly. Okay, The first is Abraham. The second is Moses. And the third, David. Each of which a covenant was made. We haven't got time to go into detail of what those covenants were. Uh, but to say that firstly, uh, God made a covenant with Abraham to do what? To create a nation. To create a nation and in fact to create nations. But there was one particular nation that uh, God wanted to create through Abraham, and that was the nation of Israel. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4, we read, The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
this wonderful picture that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing and that all people over the whole earth will be blessed through him. Now, of course, that is supremely fulfilled in who? Supremely filled in Jesus Christ. He is the seed of Abraham, and through him, all nations can be blessed. That's the first character. Second character, Moses. Uh, Of course, God brought uh, the law to Moses and his covenant with his people. And uh, you can read about that in Exodus chapters 20 to 31. Uh, God outlines the whole of the law and what that brings for the people of Israel. Um, I particularly want to highlight a verse in Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so God was drawing near by creating a nation, creating a community in which each person who was part of God could belong to. You know, it's one of the great blessings of St. James, isn't it? That we belong to one another. We can share in our sorrows, in our, in our joys, in all those things that happen in our lives. We can share in those together, both as we gather on Sundays, but in our small groups and other places we meet. And this was one of the things that God wanted to create. But he wanted to create a nation of priests. Did you know that you're all priests? That actually that was the in- initial intention for the whole people of Israel. Now within Israel you had a whole tribe that was supposed to be the priests, the Levites. But actually God's initial intention was the whole nation to be a nation of priests. They actually stepped back from that. They didn't step in. They didn't draw near to God in that. But they stepped back and said, no, we're going to choose our own way. We're not going to be a nation of priests. We're going to allow those guys over there to do the priestly duty. And their role really was to actually bring God to the whole world. But they fell short of that, as did the people of Israel under the uh, Abraham covenant as well. And then we move finally on to David. David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's a great illustration of someone who was passionate about God, but God, it's so wrong. But God forgave him, restored him, and used him. And God makes this wonderful uh, covenant with David that his kingdom would be never-ending, that his line would be never-ending. Uh, in Samuel, 2 Samuel seven eleven to 12, we read, The Lord declares to you, this is to David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then reading on to verse 16, Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, who's the fulfillment in this? Jesus. He is in the line of David. He is the one who succeeds David and is a king who brings his freedom for each one of us. And so the summary point here uh, for us drawing near is this sense that God calls us into a community, that God wants to bring redemption in a people. He doesn't just work with individuals, but he works with a people group, that he wants to work in his people. And what is the fulfillment of Israel today? What is the fulfillment of the people of God? Well, of course, it's us. It's the church. It's us as we gather together as his people. And so God is wanting to work in us. He's wanting to reveal all these wonderful things in and through us. And uh, this week is quite theological 
it's quite a lot about getting our heads and our understanding around, around the narrative of Scripture, and there's so much more that could be unpacked. Um, uh, but but the, just the beginning here of us thinking about what it is that God is calling us. So just to summarize and perhaps some applications for us as we go from this place, so we're not just going away with a bit more biblical knowledge, but actually hopefully we're going away with some tangible things that we can go and do. Um, the first is around creation, a question for us. Do we need a fresh revelation of how much God loves us? Do we need a fresh revelation of how God sees the goodness in us and in creation. I know I do. I'm sure many of us do. Um, the second one is, um, in the fall, do we need to recognize in our own lives that there is sin? Because if there's sin in our lives and we're not addressing it, that will get in the way of us drawing near. We'll, f- we'll fail the hurdle at the first step if we don't be honest with ourselves and with God and say, God, I want to acknowledge this sin in my life I want to offer it before you. I want to say sorry for it. And I want to move on from it. And for some of us, there'll be things in our lives that we can just simply do that. There'll be others of us that actually there's some such big things in our lives that we've really got to process these things through. And we need to go on a journey of that. It's not just a one-time prayer, but it's a journey of saying, God, I lay this before you. I offer this to you. This thing is getting in the way. And I want to give it to you. And um, you know, if, if you want some prayer and that, the prayer ministry team would love to pray for you. Also, there are other groups that really can support that. The Well in Leamington is a great place that uh, prays for people and works things through um, within our small groups as well. It's a place where you can really be honest and open about the things that you're struggling with. And then finally, God is calling us into community. As we draw near to him, he's calling us into community. And so, my question for us is, are we part of a community? Are we part of a, uh, a, a small group or maybe a group of other Christians where we can really have that sense of belonging, where we can grow together in faith as we journey together? Um, there's so much more I could have unpacked this morning, and uh, in reality, we probably should have done this uh, series over a number of, number of weeks. Um, but I hope there's something that you've got out of this morning as we look at this whole narrative of scripture, particularly the creation, the fall in Israel. And uh, next week, Boz is going to be talking about Jesus and the church. And of course, everything pivots on Jesus. He's the one who's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and also uh, leads us forward in the new covenant as well.